You know, I, uh, I know Bill said this, and I heard your response. I love when we do baptism. It's just so, it's so exciting uh, just to see, like we were, like we were singing, you know, uh, uh, shouted out, uh, he rescues and saves. I love that, that he rescues and saves. Not just once, he continues to rescue and save us. But hey, as Bill was saying, we've been in a, a series called the, uh, the Patriarch Series, and if you're not familiar with that, that word patriarch, basically it's a series where we're looking at three really important guys from the Old Testament, uh, Peter, Paul, and Larry. No, it's, uh, uh, now I've forgotten who it is, Abraham, <laughs> Isaac, and Jacob. And, uh, and up till this point, uh, Abraham isn't Abraham yet. Uh, his name will change in a little bit. Uh, but his, his name's Abram right now. And up till this point, God's been visiting Abram and, and revealing to this man uh, just this incredible plan that he has for him, uh, that he has for his descendants. And, and if you remember last weekend, JT looked at a story at, at, uh, in the latter part of chapter 15 where in a really uh, powerful and, and, and to us a really bizarre way, God enters into a, into a covenant with Abram and basically says, you know, Abram, all these plans I have for you and your descendants, you know, all this just mind-blowing stuff, uh, I'm telling you today in this covenant that it's all on me. It's my responsibility to, to make it happen. And, you know, so Abram, Abram's having all these visitations from God. But remember, Abram's married and his wife, Sarai, I mean, her name will be Sarah. I don't know why they do that just to make it difficult for us, but her... Uh, Sarai, she hasn't been in on any of these, you know, visitations, any of these uh, conversations with God. And so she's been getting, like any marriage, she's getting a secondhand, uh, uh, you know, version of what God's been saying to, to Abram. And he's like, oh, we're going we're gonna to have, you know, you're going to get pregnant and we're going to have a son. And, and, and he keeps going, but she doesn't hear anything beyond that because, because as you remember, she's barren. And she's, she's listening to this story of this incredible promise and she's like, really? Like, I don't know how that is going to happen. Have you looked in the mirror lately? Abe, I mean, you and I, we're not getting any younger. Like, and when is it going to happen? Because if he doesn't hurry up, I mean, my clock stopped ticking a long time ago. And so there's a real sense of, I don't know how, and I certainly don't. If he doesn't do it soon, it ain't, it ain't happening. And, and the title of my message this morning is uh, Getting Comfortable with Waiting. And listen to this quote from uh, uh, Lady Jeanette Oak. She says, Impatience can cause wise people to do foolish things. Or uh, not being comfortable with waiting can cause wise people to do foolish things. And I... I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm going to assume this about all of us, is like we're not good at waiting, right? That is not a strength of our culture. And like, like Bill was saying, you know, next Saturday, uh, there's actually myself and seven other people are going to get on a plane, and we're going to fly down to Brazil. And if you remember from uh, last year, we're going to the same town, Portel, working with our missionaries there. And, and please do be praying for us. But uh, one, of the th one of the things is I've, over the years of going down to Brazil, and you know, just getting to know the missionaries and talking with them, one of the common things, or one of the things I've heard many times, when they talk about us Westerners coming to Brazil, uh, the biggest thing, the biggest challenge for us going there, it's not the, you know, the weather, it's not the heat, it's not the humidity, it's, it's not all the bugs you know, and, and spiders and 
you know, bees the size of robins. And, you know, it's not the snakes. It's not the language barrier. It's not the food. Uh, it's not even the, uh, the loss of Wi-Fi. Oh, how do we live? Like, I can go, I can go without oxygen, but not Wi-Fi. But, but what I hear over and over is the biggest challenge for us Westerners going to Brazil is, is, the, is over the loss of control. Like, we don't realize how... You know, in our fast-paced lives, we don't realize how incredibly scheduled to the max, it's like, da, 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 you know what I mean? It's like, we don't realize how much we love to just control our lives and our schedules until we go to a country like Brazil where it is like, you know, Jilman. You know, it's like, it's just so, it's so laid back. And in every trip, every year, and now the team's here, so maybe this won't happen this year because they're going to hear it, but... Every year, I'll have someone on the team come to me. You know, you know we've had our breakfast, and, and they're, they're shaking a little bit, and they're like, so what are we doing today? And I'll say, you know, I'm the leader. I should know. And I'll, and I'll go, well, you know, uh, uh, I'm not totally sure. And that doesn't satisfy them. Like, well, well, well when are we going to be leaving to go do what you're not totally sure we're going to be doing? And, and my response will be, well, to be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> it may happen today, uh, maybe. But it's like we, we just, we are so uncomfortable with that. And, and what they see, or what, sorry, what we see in their culture as unproductive, they see as it's, it's relational. Downtime, having to wait, it's, it's not a hardship at all. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to, to connect. And it says in your notes, uh, it's, it's letting go of control and grabbing hold of the moment. You know, so when I talk about waiting, what we're going to look at today, I'm not talking so much about waiting in the sense of uh, traffic jams or waiting in the sense of, of uh, you know, grocery lines, etc. What I'm talking about is waiting on God to fulfill his promises, waiting on God to answer those prayers that we've been praying over and over and over and over. And what we're going to see in the story is Sarai, who... Uh, uh, it wasn't happening fast enough. And where she, you know, in, in, in struggling, not being comfortable with waiting, we're going to see where she grabs hold of it, tries to fix the problem, tries to make it happen, and it actually makes things, it makes things worse. Now, it's amazing to me that um, when we're in a time of waiting, when we're like, God, where are you? You know, it's like, it's like, what are you doing? It's amazing to me how quick we are to jump to that place of, uh, or to the conclusion that God's, Inactivity, at least from our perspective, God's inactivity equals God's absence or indifference. Right? Do you find you're quick to go there? And here's, here's what I mean. Just because we can't see him working on the area we want him to work on in the way we want him to work doesn't mean he's not there and it doesn't mean he isn't at work in our lives or in the lives of those we love. See, I... Uh, I've come to the conclusion that if, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to you know, continue to follow him and not abandon your faith, you're going to have to get comfortable with waiting. And, and the comfort, the comfort in the waiting doesn't come, and this is where it's a real culture shift for us, the, the comfort in the waiting doesn't come from the accomplishment of the task. It doesn't come from the, you know, from the answered prayer. It doesn't come from the the fixing of the problem, the comfort in the waiting comes from an awareness of his presence. That no matter what you're going through, he's with you. 
No matter how hopeless it seems, you're, you're never alone. And that's the key in this whole thing of finding comfort and waiting. It's, it's finding him in the midst of it. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, Genesis 16. Let's pray. So, Lord, thanks for this morning. Thank you for, uh, uh, I, again, just pray a blessing on those that were baptized. I pray that you would uh, just uh, come close to them in a special way today. Lord, I pray for us. I pray even as I talk about your presence and, and, and finding you in the midst of the waiting, in the midst of the struggle, I pray for, for all of us, but I especially pray for those that would just say, I just feel constantly on the outside or I constantly feel a long ways from God or disconnected from God. I pray today that you would come real close, that you would remove barriers, that you would draw uh, you would tune us into you. You'd tune us into your presence today. That you're a God who's always with us. Lord, I just pray that that would become more real today. Uh, we welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we have Bibles at the front. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one. We have them at the back. Uh, feel free to grab one. But we're in Genesis 16, first book of the Bible. And if you want to turn there, and we'll be starting off in verse 1. Here's what it says. Verse 1, now Sarai, <clears throat> Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband, to be his wife. So we'll stop there. <clears throat> now, we don't know how many years passed between uh, chapter 15 and 16. Excuse me one sec here. But uh, but but we do know, I can edit that out, but we do know that uh, it's been a matter of years. So at the time of chapter 16, approximately Abram's in his, like his middle 80s and Sarai's in her late 70s and you know, uh, and it's interesting how chapter 15, if you remember from last week, it ends with like God just declaring to Abram, you know, reaffirming his promises to him. And you're going to have this, you know, all these descendants, you won't be able to count them. And you're going to have so much land and all these promises, promises, promises. And then chapter 16 starts off, it's like you end on such a high and 16 starts off at such a downer. It starts off with, oh yeah, by the way, the, you know, the woman who this baby's supposed to come through, well, she's barren. Right? And, and just, we're, uh, uh, just to remember that in Sarai's time, for a woman to be married and, and to be barren, to not be able to have children, was like a huge badge of shame. Like, and, and ladies, please don't be offended by this, but the reality was at this time in history and in this culture, a woman's primary role was to have babies, was to, you know, have a big family. And, and so here's, here's Sarai struggling and she's barren. And, and you know, in, and in their day, they never even considered that, well, maybe something's wrong with the husband's plumbing. I mean, they never considered that. It was all, it all came down on the wife. So added to the shame was also a belief that, that if, if a woman was married and had, uh, was able to get pregnant, that that was a sign of God's blessing on her life. Oh, she's blessed. She's having children. And on the other side, if a woman was barren, it was seen as God's punishment 
on her. Hmm, something's going on there. You know, she's, she's barren. And, and, and it, was, it was understood that God was the giver of children. That's why when she's talking to Abram, as she's coming up with this plan of how to fix the problem, she says, the Lord has kept me from, from having children. And, you know, let's just stop there and consider. Like, just try to put ourselves in Sarai's uh, sandals. Could you imagine what that would feel like. And what I mean is just the, the shame from, from family, the sh- you know what I mean? The, the looks, the, the, the talking, the, you know, that, that, well, what's wrong with Sarai? What has she done? Why is God against her? Could you imagine the weight that she feels and the questions she has of like, why? Why are you punishing me? What, like, what, what did I do to deserve this? Why, you know, why am I now stuck on my own after to figure out this, the, all this crazy stuff? And just, just imagine the, the heaviness and the, and the loneliness of, of, of that place that she was in. And, you know, it's easy for us because we know the story to go, oh, you know, to kind of look at her and go, no, it's not so bad, Sarah. I mean, he, he's not against you. In fact, just hold on. It's gonna, this story's going to get way better. He loves you. He's, he's for you. He's with you. And, and uh, uh, you know, as I think of Sarah in, 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 in this place, in the waiting and the struggle and the shame and the heaviness and the questions, and don't, don't raise your hand, but how many of us when things just aren't going the way we'd hoped, how many of us are quick in our minds to go to that place of, well, God's against me. Obviously, I've done something wrong. I mean, don't put your hand up, but is that you? I mean, do you go to that place that he's, yeah, you know, he's not for you. You know, for whatever reason, he's, he's against you. And it's, and, it's, and it's really in times like that where, boy, don't we need someone to come alongside and speak the truth to us? And, and to, you know, put an arm around our shoulder. And so, you know, so here's Abram. His wife is just, you know, struggling and all these promises. And he's been sharing the story. And she's just like, oh, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. And, and Abram has this incredible opportunity to come alongside his wife, to encourage her, to like, hey, like, like sweetie, it's, remember, he said, remember God, this being that revealed himself to me. Remember, he said that he was going to make it happen. I mean, we have his word that he is going to, he's going to carry this thing through. And so he encouraged her with her words. But then just to come alongside, put his arm around her and, sweetie, I love you. You know, the, the name Sarah means princess. I don't know. I wonder if he called her, you know, princess, which kind of sounds weird to me, but because I call a dog princess. But, okay, that's another message. But <laughs> we'll stick with sweetie. <laughs> sweetie, <laughs> sweetie, I'm with you in this. I'm not going to abandon you. I love you. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with you. And you know, when I, when I consider this, the, you know, finding comfort in the waiting, two ways, and they aren't the only ways, but two uh, key ways that I believe God gives us comfort in the waiting is, is, is one is through, through the Bible. It's through his word. And number two is, is through community. So number one, through his word. You know, I, as I think about the Bible, and, you know, I was raised in a Christian home where we had, I mean, it's like there were Bibles everywhere, right? One of the things as I get older and just as I look in my own life and I look in our culture, one of my concerns for us, and I don't just mean the culture, I mean for us as, as followers of Jesus, one of my concerns is that it seems like uh, increasingly we are less and less inclined as followers of Jesus to look to the Bible for comfort and wisdom 
and we're more and more inclined to, you know, be searching the internet for answers or, or be running off to conferences or running off to counselors or oh, you just got to get this book. You know, it's like, and those things, there's nothing wrong with all those things. They're all right and good. But the danger is, is, is we're in danger of forgetting that in the Word of God, the Bible, living and active, it's like no other book, it's alive. That we're, we're, we're in danger of forgetting that we have, uh, as followers of Jesus in His Word, we have a treasure chest loaded with comfort and wisdom. I mean, uh, Psalm 119, uh, verse 28 says this It says, I weep with sorrow, encourage me by your word. I mean, all, just, just read the Psalms. All through the Psalms, we see a picture of the psalmist saying, I'm afraid, I'm confused. But then he's constantly going back to God's promises. You know, encourage me. You know, lift me up by your word, by your, you know, your promises to me, etc. There's, there's so much encouragement and comfort in the Psalms. A little later on in this chapter, uh, 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet. And a light from my path. I mean, that's, I mean, all through the Bible, there is, even though it's an old book, it's, an, it's, it's unlike any other book, it's totally current. Whatever generation, whatever culture, it is totally current and can speak into all these situations. And, you know, see if this makes sense. If, if what Shakespeare said is true, and here's a quote from Shakespeare, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. Now, and that's not in the Bible, just in case you're wondering. That's Shakespeare. But think about all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. So now see if this makes sense. Then for us as followers of Jesus, just using that analogy that we are, like life is on a stage and we're, you know, we're walking through this play. As followers of Jesus, the Bible, God's word, sets the backdrop of the scene. The Bible defines our characters. The Bible lays out the plot, the dialogue. Does that, does that make sense? Or, like what, what I mean is the Bible, this living and active book, the words of God, the Bible speaks into our waiting. Whatever scene of the play that you are in right now, the word of God is, can speak into that scene and bring comfort and bring uh, wisdom. So that's the first one. Second one, Another way that God brings comfort in the waiting is through, is through uh, community. And Bill, when he was up doing the announcements, I mean, if, you, if you've come here very often, you know that we're constantly banging this drum of get in a small group. Get in a small group. Right? And, the, and, the, and the main reason is <clears throat> because it's in a small group where we get to experience, like Bill said, you know, living life together, where we get to experience or at least where we have the opportunity to experience true Christian community with all its warts, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. But we've got this group of people that believe in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. We're following Jesus. And where we get to literally, and to sort of carry that play analogy along, we get to, as we get to know one another, we get to encourage each other to, to play the part in this play that God's given us to play. We get to speak into each other's lives. We get to speak, you know, truth to each other. But no, that's not true. God loves you. Right? We get to speak comfort. We get to speak uh, uh, wisdom where when you're in a time of waiting to have people gather around you and pray for you and speak into your life. It, you know, it's like, it's like, so do I, I'm in this time of waiting. Do I wait? Do I act? I mean, I don't think a week goes by 
that I don't lean into community at some level. I'm constantly calling people and saying, hey, I'm thinking of doing this. I, I, I know, I, I would say every couple of weeks, I'll call back to Canada uh, um, and talk to my parents and say, hey, what do you think I should wear today? No, I, uh, but, I, but I'll call my parents and say, we're thinking of doing this, you know, some a bigger decision. What do you guys think? Now, it's not that I don't know how to think for myself. It's not that, that I don't know, you know, uh, how to, to figure stuff out. But there is great wisdom in, in counsel. Listen to this out of Proverbs 15. It says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. There's so much comfort and wisdom to be found in the word of God and, uh, and in community. So... Abram, now getting back to the story, Abram has this opportunity to, you know, to come alongside his, his sweetheart and, and encourage her. And, and what has he done? How, how does he respond to her plan? Well, we're going to fix this thing. We're going to speed this thing up. How does he respond? And at the end of verse 2, it says, Abram agreed to what Sarai had said. And it's like, you know, I try to picture that. And it's like, here's, you know, Abram and Sarai. And she's going, you know, I've got this idea, sweetie. Why don't you, I'm going to give you this young Egyptian slave girl, Hagar. And why don't we see if we, if we can have this promised son through her. And I can just see Abram going, well, let me pray about this, honey. Amen. Yes, yes. I think I am a servant. I will, I will. You know, it's just like, it's like way to go there, Abram. But, uh, but so she gives uh, her, her, her servant girl gives her to Abram as his wife. And I know in our culture we're like, <gasps> like isn't that adultery? I mean, remember that in, in their culture and at their time, this was, this was normal, right? If you, if you were a, a, a woman, you're married, you can't have kids, you're barren, it was totally normal and acceptable within the culture to take your servant girl and give her to your husband. And then uh, if she was to conceive, then that baby that the servant girl has was, would become the baby of, of you know, the, the master or the, or the wife. So it was totally acceptable, totally appropriate in their culture. So let's move on in the story. So Genesis 16 verse 4 says, uh, So Abram, he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she, Hagar, knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering, I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from hers. Now, number two in your note says, we're always planting seeds, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to get to that. But, but just looking at the story... Don't you agree that so many times when, it, when, when we're tired of waiting, we've been praying, we're, you, know, you know, it's just not moving as fast as we want it to move. So many times when we, when we try to then, we try to make something happen. We try to force the issue. We try to force a conversation. We try to, you know, force a decision. Well, we're just going to. We're just going to pack up and we're going to move. We're just going to go. You know, and where we're trying to literally force God's hand, either in our life, uh, you know, in the life of someone else, or in, in certain situations. But don't you find, and it's like what we see in this story, that so many times when we force it, when we try to you know, go to plan B, a, a plan of our own making, that it makes it worse. What we think is going to fix everything just blows it all up. 
And what we see in this story is that's exactly what happens. Sarai's like, oh, I'm barren. How are we going to make this happen? I know. Take Hagar. And then everything, it's like the wheels fall off. Because all of a sudden, Hagar is walking around the house going, you know, she's pregnant. And this totally, uh, it's like salt in a wound for Sarai. Because the fact that she, got, she conceived so quickly just confirms the fact like, yes, yeah, Sarai, you're, you're damaged goods. Right? And there's, there's Hagar walking around the house like, yeah, you know, my hump, you know, or my bump, sorry. <laughs> we can edit that later. I'm just trying to connect with the younger generation. My bump, I'm pregnant, I'm blessed. You know what I mean? And she's like, I mean, could you imagine how suddenly, suddenly the servant girl is despising the master. Ah, I'm blessed. Look who God's blessing. And this is just like, just, just totally getting at all the fears and all the anger and all the frustration in Sarai. And she totally blows up and unloads on her husband. So you get all this relational strife. Everything's unraveling. And she looks at Abram. Oh, look what you've done. And he's like, me? You know, good old passive Abram, me? It wasn't my idea. It was, it was, it was your idea. And, and, and so what she thought would fix it just literally and relationally just starts blowing everything apart. And, and not to mention, I'm not going to get into this today, but just think of this little baby inside of Hagar. This little boy is a boy named Ishmael whose descendants are the, are the Arab nations. And talk about relational strife. I mean, the, the, the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac have been fighting ever since. Right? In the Middle East, it's been ongoing conflict and there's this battle going on. And, you know, it doesn't say this. We don't see it in this story, but I'm, I don't think it would be inaccurate to also add to the list that, that uh, not only is there this attacking of one another, but there's, there's, there's an attacking of God. And what I mean is when, you know, when, when things aren't moving fast enough, when we're in this place of waiting and then we try to make something happen and it makes it worse, that failure, you know, that it didn't improve and it got worse, that failure, it magnifies that fear and frustration inside. It just brings it to the surface. And what I mean is it's like, it's like oh, that just proves it that you're asleep on the job. The fact that it just keeps blowing up, it just proves it that you've, you've abandoned me and I'm on my own in this and I've got to fix it. And it just, you know, it, it, uh, listen to this. Uh, Proverbs 19 verse 3 says, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. I mean, think about that. We ruin our lives by our own foolishness and then, and then we're, we're angry at God. I mean, it seems like he gets it all the time. But, but consider this. I mean, have you considered that, or that a lot of the struggle points, a lot of these blow-ups in our lives, etc., are there because, because we, we put them there? Right? And this is where now this whole thing of planting seeds. Have you ever considered that as we go through our lives that, that we're always planting seeds? And as you go through your life, the decisions you make and the, and the way you respond to the waiting and the struggles, etc., uh, uh, depended upon... Uh, the heart attitude behind the seeds, that we have an opportunity every day where we're either planting seeds of life or we're planting seeds of, of death. And listen to this out of Galatians 6. It says, it says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. Now listen to this. You will always harvest what you plant. 
Right? You're all, it's, you know, you're, we will always harvest what we plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, that's hard attitude, will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit, attitude of the heart, will, will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Now, when we look at what Sarai did, here's the plan. We're going you know, to fix this thing. What she did was not wrong culturally. It was totally appropriate, totally acceptable in her, in her culture. The problem was it was not God's plan. God's plan was I, I have, it's, you know, I have entered into a covenant with you. I have taken it all on my shoulders to make this happen. Your job is to take my hand and follow me. That's your job. You follow me, and I'll guide you every step of the way. And you know, one of the challenges that that I think we, well, I don't think I know we face right now, and increasingly we're going to face in this country, is is who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow the culture? Or are we going to follow Jesus? I mean, think about that. We, our culture is changing so quickly. Rules are changing so quickly. And we now live, we live in a nation where rules, laws are being made that both encourage and protect our sinfulness. I mean, that there's laws are being made that, that, that encourage and protect my greed, my lack of self-control, my use of, you know, recreational drugs. Right, my, my sexual preference. There are laws to protect my freedom to sin and to just do as I will. I mean, uh, uh, but, but when we look at that phrase of being a follower of Jesus, being a follower of Jesus means we've decided, we've said yes to follow him. That means go where he goes. That means, you know, his ways, his plans. We walk to the beat of, of his drum. And, you know, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Hebrews 11. And we don't have a slide for this, Doug. Uh, but in Hebrews 11, it's the faith chapter, right? It goes through all these people who by faith, you know, did this and this. Their belief in God. They're following him. And there's a verse in it where basically it says, and this is not word for word, but basically it says, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to live a life of faith, one of the things you're going to have to do is you're going to have to decide and just come to grips with the fact that you now, in saying yes to Jesus, you now need to live as an alien on planet Earth. Like, I don't think we talk enough about that. That now, because we've said yes to Jesus, like, we are from a different planet. Like, I mean, this is not our home. I mean, I don't think we think about that because we're so intertwined with our culture. But if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to imagine, you know, this is not my planet. I'm, I'm here for a purpose, and I'm here for a time, but this is not my home. And, and you know, uh, as I was prepping last week, as I got to this point, I stopped, because I felt like God said there are, there's going to be people this week, and there's going to be people here right now where you're at an intersection in your life. <clears throat> it could be, you know, uh, it could be a financial thing. It could be business. It could be relational. It could be just a personal habits. It could be, but you're at an intersection and, and you need to decide, are you going to follow the culture, which is applauding, saying, yes, it's right, you can do it, just, it's okay, you got the thumbs up from the culture, but you look this way, and Jesus is going, no, that's not where I'm going. In fact, you go down that way, you're going to, it's going to blow up. It's going to hurt you, it's going to hurt your relationships. And, and I want to encourage you, if, as I'm saying that right now, if you're going, thunk, if there's like a little 
pinprick in your heart at the end of the service when we take time to pray. God wants to, and this is the picture I had, is he wants to come alongside, put his arm around you, and just say and encourage you. He wants to speak comfort and wisdom to you to, to protect you from going down the wrong path. So if that's you, I'd encourage you to get prayer. But again, back to the story. Here's Sarai trying to make it happen, pushing it through. It's all blowing up. And, and it gets to the point where she, it just says, uh, she mistreats Hagar. Here's this young servant girl now. She's pregnant. Mistreats her to the point that she, you know, takes off and actually is heading home to, uh, to Egypt. So let's continue the story. Verse 7 says this, and I'll end with this. Uh, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. And number three in your notes is the God who sees us. And you know, Hagar's running, you know, going off to Egypt and she's out in the desert and, you know, she... Uh, um, and, and it uses this phrase, it says, the angel of the Lord found her. And that phrase, angel of the Lord, it's, this is the first time that we see this phrase in, in the Bible. And a lot, of, <clears throat> a lot of biblical scholars believe that, that the angel of the Lord, that that was Jesus. That, that was Jesus who came to this lost, broken woman and, and I just think, wow, that just sweetens this story all of a sudden to think that here's Hagar out in the desert talking with Jesus. And he comes to her and he, you know, he asks her this question, Hagar, hey, you know, like, uh, where have you been and where are you going? And just that question, you know, triggers in my mind from Genesis 3. Remember Adam and Eve, they, they disobey and, and then they go and they hide from God. Remember that? And he's walking through the garden and he asks a question. He says to them, hey, where, where are you? Right, and what's, what's, what, what, when you see God asking these questions, he's not asking because he doesn't know. They're like, oh, I can't see you. I mean, you know, and he, it's not like he doesn't know what Hagar's doing. But you know why he asks? I believe he asks those questions to them and to us because he wants to help us get a handle on what's going on in our lives. How are we responding to the waiting? How are we responding to the frustration of where are you and it's not happening? How are we responding in that place of waiting? And, you know, what we see in Adam and Eve and in Hagar, like many times our response in the waiting, our response when we're, you know, when we're, we're, we're afraid that we're forgotten by God is, is, or, or we're frustrated with him, and uh, our response is like theirs. We either run and hide from him, or try to hide, you can't hide, but we try to hide from him and, and avoid him uh, like Adam and Eve did, or, 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 or we, get on, we go on the run. We just go on the run from him. And, 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 and I don't mean, I mean, we still go to church, we still do all the right things, but, but in our hearts, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I don't want you to see me, right? We're either hiding or we're on the run. And if you're here today and you're going, yeah, yeah, that's me. If you're aware that, yeah, that's been, you know, that's been for a long time. Here's one of the things I love about God and how he deals with us in our, in our frailty as humans and in, in our weakness is that for you to make, to, for you to fix that, that running, that hiding, for you to, to come out of the shadows, back in a relationship with God, for you to turn around and run back to him, all it takes, all it takes, and it says it in, in this text, when, when the angel of the Lord says to her, I want you to go back and submit to your mistress. That's all it takes. It's go back. And, and, and another way to put that would be, you just need to repent. 
you're going this way, I'm running, I'm hiding. You just need to turn back. And, and it's, so, it's so simple in many ways. It's hard on our pride to admit we're wrong. But it's really such a simple process when we recognize, yep, I've been running, I've been hiding, just to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. I've been running from you. I'm sorry, God. I've been hiding from you. I'm sorry, God. I, I know you're the boss, but I didn't think you were getting the job done, so I grabbed your hard hat and put it on, and I've blown the, I have blown the job site up. I'm sorry. I, you know, forgive me for trying to be the boss. And here's the thing, that, that whole thing of, of repentance and, and, and turning back, etc., and submitting, right? It's a, it's a turning back from where we we're going and saying, you're the boss, I'm not the boss. You lead on. I'll follow you. Here's the thing that's so cool to me. This whole thing of, of repentance and forgiveness is, it's, uh, I had this picture of it. It's like forgiveness is like this. That thing when you turn back to God and say, I'm sorry, do you realize that sin, that, that rebellion in your heart, it's already been forgiven, right, on the cross. And, and the picture I have and sort of that analogy of the whole play, it's like our forgiveness is it's at will call. And the way you pick it up is through repentance, and it never runs out. It's constantly there. You just need to turn back to him. You just need to go back and submit. And, and, and so then, verse 10, you know, God promises her a son. And I don't understand that. I don't understand why he not only promised this woman a, a son, but promised all these descendants. Again, that's, that's a big question mark to me. But either way, God comes to this woman. You know, again, is it Jesus? Comes to her. Uh, uh, blesses her but gives her a very clear direction you need to go back and you need to submit and then Hagar responds to to this encounter by saying this in verse 13 she says she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her you are the God who sees me for she said I have now seen the one who sees me and you know that the picture I get in that is she, as he sort of picks her up, you know, encourages her and sends her back, sends her on her way. Uh, everything has changed now because, because of her seeing, or rather because of her, this understanding, this encounter, this awareness that I, it, I have been seen by God. Right? That's changed everything for her. And, and what I mean is this, is that, excuse me, it's that she's still going back to the situation, isn't she? That, has, that hasn't changed. And in fact, I'm sure it's going to be hard to go back. She's going to have to go back with incredible humility and to, this, you know, the, to the mess that she ran away from. But what's changed is that now she's going back with clarity. Now she's going back with direction. And most importantly, now she's going back knowing she's not alone. Because she's encountered the God who sees me. She's encountered the one. And just think if it was Jesus... Just think of all the stories in the New Testament where Jesus, just think of all the times that he talked to people. Think of all the times that he, he, he talked with women and just loved them and blessed them and encouraged them. She's going back just filled up because, because going back to a mess, but going back full of hope because she's been with the God who sees them. And in this whole challenge of getting comfortable with waiting, uh, what Hagar discovered and what what we need to discover is that the, the key, the key in this whole thing, it's not, it's not looking for the solution. It's looking for him. It's looking for him in the midst of the situation. It's, it's looking, it's connecting, it's encountering with the God who sees, the God who knows, the God who's totally aware, who knows what he's doing, what, what you can't see. It's, it's encountering him in, in the midst 
of, of the waiting. To think right now, whatever's going on in your life, the, that God is with you and that he is working and that he is uh, uh, totally aware of everything that's going on. So why don't we stand up? <clears throat> Let's just, uh, just quiet ourselves for a little bit here. Lord, I just welcome you here. Lord, we welcome, welcome your presence. Just come, Lord. Just come close to us. Just come settle our hearts. You know, uh, I, I wasn't supposed to speak this weekend, obviously, and please continue to pray for, for Danny and Penny. Penny was supposed to preach this weekend, and, and uh, when I realized um, uh, that I was going to have to preach, I, just, I sat down and I just quieted myself, and I said, okay, God, uh, you know, uh, anything you want to say? And I just you know, got real quiet, and instantly I had a picture of me standing in front of you, and, and I just felt this incredible fatherly love and, and burden. And I just saw, and, and, and what I felt like he said to say was, you need to return to me. You need to come back to me. And it wasn't, it wasn't in, a, in, a, in, a, in a you're in trouble way. It's, it was such a loving, fatherly way of you've wandered and, and you're getting into dangerous places and I want you to come back to me, come back to the one who loves you, the one who sees you and knows you. And, and uh, Bonnie, do you want to grab the mic? Bonnie uh, and I were talking before the service this morning, and she just shared a, uh, a word that she had, and I, it totally fits in with, with uh, just, just hold her down for a bit till the light comes on. There you go. You're good. Just listen to this. It totally makes sense. This morning, my husband and I woke up, and all the electricity was out in our neighborhood, and you all know how not, that's not very fun. Uh, you can't drink coffee, your, your food starts rotting in the fridge, and you can't even see to take a shower without a flashlight. So that's what we kind of woke up to. And as I was praying and meditating, as I got ready for church today, I just felt a real burden to just go into intercession, not only for Penny, but for this church. And the Lord began to highlight to me the plugs in my um, house. And, you know, without electricity, we know how it's not so fun. And we take for granted that electricity. And then he began to download about the importance that he is the power source in everything we do. And since he holds our breath in his hands and even the heart beating in his hands, that many of us have become complacent and passive and not even caring about the power. Well, it's okay, you know, I'll just muddle along just kind of this substandard zero kind of flat line to okay whatever and he began to just highlight that he wants us to be plugged into him as our source for everything 24 7 and when we're plugged into that power then we can do exploits we can climb the mountain and we can seek his face and we can do signs miracles and wonders because jesus said he wants us to and we can and i just had a sense for any of us today who are just kind of Oh, well, it's kind of same old, same old. I'll just kind of come to church. I'll muddle. I'll be a good Christian. I'm not going to be like a psycho or anything. But 
I don't have the power. I'm not hearing his voice. I'm not walking in freedom and liberty. I'm not going out and praying for the sick. I'm not going out and, and doing the will of the Father. And I think he wants to just renew passion. It's just been a thing lately where he just keeps speaking to me that the heart, in Proverbs it says the heart deferred, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So if you have a sick heart today, and this is speaking to you as well, and you need hope and a plan for your future because God says that his promises are that bright. He doesn't want us this side of heaven to look like all we do is suck lemons all day long. He really wants us to walk in that joy and that power and that passion and plug into the source. Yeah. So that's what I shared with Michael, and that's yeah. what I'm sharing with you. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. You know, so just as we end off the service today, and JT's going to lead us in a song, I just encourage you, if that, you know, that coming back, that plugging in again, that, that, or if you realize, yeah, I'm just sort of getting used to the power being out. I thought that was such a catch. That phrase just caught me. We want to, God wants to encourage you, and he wants to give you life and comfort. And I also, if, I know it's allergy season, and I, I was praying. I felt like, Lord, just for some of us, it's, this is a miserable time. I just encourage you, if, the, if you're one of those people, just to get prayer today. If you're earlier on the message, the, the word for you're at an intersection, God wants to give you uh, wisdom and that decision-making process. Uh, I just invite you to get prayer. Just come to Jesus. He wants to uh, uh, come close to you today. And so, JT, is he going to lead us in a song? Uh, as he does, just come forward. We'll pray for you. And as people come, let's, let's uh, come on up and pray for them. So you start coming. The splendor of the King Let's just have folks come on up, gather around, lay a hand on them, uh, just to bless what God's doing. So. He
thank you for your presence, for all that you're doing. We just welcome all that you're uh, doing, all the ways you're coming close. And I pray uh, that you would just tune us into you. Lord, we're your children. You're our father. We're your, your sheep. You're our shepherd. Lord, just come. I pray that you would just come close to people. I pray this week as we get back into the routine and just the busyness and that you would uh, uh, not let us forget too soon. Just not let us forget uh, just your pursuit of us. Not let us forget that wonderful truth that you're always with us. Everywhere we go, that the God who sees us knows us. That you're always there. Lord, teach us how to... Um, look to you, how to, how to lean into you just through all the stuff of life. Lord, just thank you for your presence. Thanks for each one that's here. I just pray you'd watch over us. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen.